Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the In the Paint Show, presented by Ball is Life, episode 136. This is Ronnie Flores with my co-hosts, Ani Amana and Chelsea Hopkins. Got a lot to talk about today. Should be a great episode. Again, thank you for listening in and tuning in. Chelsea, how's everything going this morning? Going good, Ronnie. I'm excited to be back with the boys. Um, I got to hang out with you a couple days ago. You know, Ani kind of flaked on me, but I'll catch up with him next time. But otherwise, I'm here. I'm ready to go. Yeah, my bad, Chelsea. I got you next time. I'm gonna be in Vegas next month. Uh, yeah, we're gonna see. We're gonna see if uh, I find you. Here you go. Here you go. Um, now, what, what are you what are in Vegas? So tell us a little bit about the event. I think it's the weekend of August 10th to 12th. Mm hmm. Yeah, so uh, the Circuit League, they're running uh, two things. So they got a tournament going on and they got a camp. Uh, so the tournament is going on the 10th, and the, I think the 10th through 12th, it finishes at the 12th. And uh, they're also going to be running a camp, a Hidden Gems camp as well. So right now they got about 70 teams in the tournament. And then the camp, uh, that's kind of that's kind of rolling. I think it's over 50 now. Uh, they're, they're sending out uh, invites, and they got me speaking. So, you know, I'm going to have to, have to write out my uh, – well, I'm going to say write out my speech. Just make sure I'm not cursing a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, But, yeah, it's just – so I'll be in Vegas for about three days on the, from the 10th to the 12th. That'll be good. I'm sure I'll, I'll be around. I'll be there. Uh, obviously, that weekend, too, we got the Elite 24s coming back. That's supposed to be in Chicago's mm-hmm. lakefront. Um, Plan to go to that, too. You're going to go over to that as well? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be a busy, man. You're not going to see Chelsea. You're going to miss Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I won't miss Chelsea. I'm going to get with her the 10th and 11th. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll be waiting. Great, great. And then you're out of there. So that'll be... Something new, some exciting. Obviously, the main difference, I think, than when it first started, it started in 2006. We've talked about it before, is now there, there, there's a girls component. Obviously, yeah. if you're going to do an event of that scale now, it's going to include girls. You know, I'll, I'll give you guys a, uh, a little bit of insight. I was part of the selection committee when, when it came out. It was in New York, Rucker Park, uh, 06, 07, 08, 09, and then it went to L.A. for three years, and then it went back to New York. And then in L.A. was at Venice Beach. And people did tell us at the time, like, you guys are going to do a girls game. We didn't were like, do you know how much work this is? Like, you know, like we were like, it just wasn't there yet. But in today's in today's time, it makes sense. You know, um, the event lasted to 2016. And then when when Steph Curry became kind of like a global icon and, and Under Armour's main ambassador, obviously, like they started the Steph Curry camp or kind of morphed into the Steph Curry camp. Oh. And that event came to an end in terms of uh, being outdoors and like, having a but you know like an all-star game fam- format came more of a camp with, with the top players there right. and that was in the bay area but uh i believe you know it was great uh, i have a lot of great memories uh i'm sure a lot of the kids are going to enjoy it uh obviously the calendar is full and and we have a lot to talk about on this episode with you know the calendar has been going we got the live period coming up later this week mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to start off probing the the paint uh just with some various topics that happened in basketball. Obviously, we said we saw the summer league, and, and there was a lot of basketball besides the summer league. But but Chelsea, I got to ask you, what did you think about these young guys in the NBA and some of the comments they're making? Uh, you know, they're just kind of uh, off the cuff comments, and and, and there might be in good fun. But it, it, I guess people are like, whoa, what did you just say? So talk a little bit about that. 
Man, these these young guys, they got a lot of confidence, uh, Ronnie, and um, I respect it. But, you know, the way they kind of throw around some of these legends names, they got to, you know, they got to slow down a little bit. Um, I caught John Moran's comments uh, when he did his interview with Taylor Rooks, just talking about Michael Jordan and how, um, you know, he thought that he would still be a superstar. But, you know, according to him, there's a lot of superstars in the league and he would just be one of those guys. So uh, he kind of made those remarks. Obviously, it went viral. People heard about it. Um, I personally see what he was trying to say, but I, I definitely don't agree. I mean, you can't just throw Michael Jordan's name around like he's an average, you know, Joe Schmo. Um, but I do see what he was trying to say just about, you know, different errors. Obviously, Michael Jordan was head and shoulders um, more athletic than pretty, but pretty much anybody in the league at the time. Um, and John Romant was just making the point that, you know, we have a lot of athletes and the skill is at an all time high. You know, I don't think Michael Jordan faced, you know, those caliber of players in his opinion. So he just feels like Michael Jordan would obviously be dominant. He would be one of the obviously better players in the league, but he just doesn't. It didn't seem like he felt like Michael Jordan would be like the GOAT, basically. Um, so uh, I, I don't agree. I mean, Ani, I'll let you chime in a little bit on it. Um, but from my standpoint, I see what he was trying to say, but I think he's wrong. Yeah, no, he's wrong. I mean, first off, if you plug John Moran in the 90s, like, I think people understand you have to play within the 90s rules in the 90s game. Like, the pace is a lot slower, <laughs> right? Like, they're not, you're not getting up and down like that. Uh, the zoning uh, uh, fouls, like, you know, you can't play help side defense like that. You know, guys will empty a side and you basically go one-on-one -on -one isolation. He's not a very good defender in today's so, like, in the 90s where they're going to isolate you, and let's say you're guarding MJ, you're going to get torched for 50. You know, he would obviously still be a really good player, right? Like, he would be a superstar in the 90s. I agree with him on that. But, like, he wouldn't – the game is so different. We talk about 90s to now and just how the game is played. Like, plug yourself there. You're not playing like how you do now. Now, what he has in his skill and athleticism will make him really good. But – MJ wouldn't be no regular dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't know. Just, it's like you, you're saying it without even really thinking. You know what yeah. I mean? That, and he's he saying it too. Sorry to cut you off, Bonnie. Like, are you good? Somebody that's like, he's interviewing, being interviewed by somebody that he knows well. And they're just, it's like, is this a serious interview or are you guys just chit chatting? You know what I mean? So people take it like, uh, oh, this is a sit-down, serious interview. Like it's on Nightline or something, you know. Like, <laughs> but it's really just two people that kind of know each other, chatting. So, people, you know, it gets a little um, taken a little out of context, probably. Like, but you, like you said, if you mention Michael Jordan, people have an opinion. It's just like if, if somebody mentions LeBron. There's a few people that, you no matter mention them, somebody's gonna have a strong opinion about it. It's funny. I saw this picture, uh, and you know, obviously, like. Uh, younger fans, they like to make fun of some of the guys. Michael Jordan was like just driving by and he's holding the ball because mm -hmm. he can bomb it so easily. And like Michael Jordan is just holding the ball out on Gary Payton and Gary Payton's trying to reach over to hit, you know, to try to like slow him down. And everybody's like, this is John Moran. This is what it's John Moran <laughs> smaller than Gary Payton. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I think it, that boy would just it, it's just a totally different game. You know, no, no three pointers, a lot of less open court dunks, a lot of less open court plays, you know? Um, so that's pretty funny. I, I think that, you know, I, I like to see the confidence of a young player, but it also shows the age. I, I, I think more for me, it just shows how much time is passing by. Right. Like, I think more than anything, like 
John Morant was probably well, how old is John Morant? Is he twenty-four? Probably twenty-four, twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-four. Hmm. So he was born what nineteen ninety-eight or nineteen ninety-nine? <laughs> like he just ninety-six probably. You made me 96, 97. Like he didn't really even see. You like really didn't even see it. So you don't think that for me, it just doesn't seem like that much time that is long that long ago, but I guess it is. Uh, like that much basketball's passed. So um and then Benedict Matherin, uh you gotta love his confidence. What do you think, Honey? I mean, he's obviously the young kid from Arizona. Uh, you know, he had a great season and obviously he played in the summer league, seemed like he did pretty well. Uh what do you think about him? I, I don't take it serious. Like I don't think he's serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh man, I, I think I'm the best player in the league, and, and and I got to see what LeBron's about. Like, who the hell are you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you haven't done a damn thing, but had some good summer league games. Yeah. Um, you know, look, he's gonna be a good player in the NBA. Let's not yeah. get twisted. Like, he could be pretty good, but the, I think sometimes we're just when you talk about confidence, and we talk about being delusional. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, he's on the delusional side. You can't mess with LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like, LeBron James doesn't have to show you anything. Like, you need to show, like, first, before you go to LeBron, like, show your actual team that you're with right now that you could even crack starter minutes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's get there first before we talk about LeBron James. You know, that, that's my opinion. Like, it's just delusional. Like, I don't, I don't believe he really believed what he was saying. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I kind of feel a little bit like that about John Morant, too. Like, you know what I mean? His dad is somebody who just joke with him and say, boy, you know, okay, that's fine. You know, his mom was right. Yeah, I, I think sometimes the, they just think it's cool to kind of stir the pot, you know, say something controversial, see how people are going to react to it. Like, you know, come on. I, I understand that, you know, you want to be confident and you want to tell yourself stuff because maybe you think that that might help get you going, you know, later on down the line. But at the end of the day, LeBron's proven in the league. You know, 20 year vet, done everything he's possibly could do. Like, you got to come in there and compete and just say you're excited for the challenge, you know, to be able to guard a dude like that. But does anybody expect you to have a lot of success doing it? No. So let's start there, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. Speaking of LeBron, obviously, he's always going to draw right. a lot of attention or whatever he does. Uh, he played in the Drew League, uh, played for the first time in the Pro Am, probably since the lockout. And he had a really good game and everybody goes, oh, you know, what do you think if LeBron just showed up to your run? It's like, this is not just an open run. Like, this is well established. Players play in the league all the time, you know, like, and there's good players. I would say, you know, like seeing some of the summer league guys, some of those guys, are they're not far off from those guys. But everybody's acting like LeBron just randomly went to a pickup game and like, there was nine bums on the court and he just dominated. Like, no, I, I don't know where that came from or people are maybe not paying attention. I think they got to know. Like, you got to know the Drew League, right? I mean, who doesn't know the Drew League if you know the basics about basketball? I don't know. Maybe you guys have a different opinion or maybe you guys, just the headlines are just eye-catching headlines. Uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan was playing. Other pros play all the time. So, I don't know. What did you guys think? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Um, I mean, the Drew League is one of the most respected, you know, basketball leagues, I would say, in, in the country. Um, in terms of, you know, just that type of play. Um, LeBron showing up, I, I think it was a treat, obviously, for the fans, uh, him playing for the Lakers. Super exciting to have him come out. And, you know, like you said, players play in that league all the time. DeMar DeRozan, being from California, he's in the league. I still remember um, Nick Young, who was always playing in the Drew League. So they have, yeah. you know, pro players. And a lot of the guys that also participate are guys that play overseas. So this is not yeah. just a YMCA random pickup game. 
Um, obviously, you don't really expect LeBron, you know, to play in this type of run. But, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy. I think him, you know, trying to embrace the L.A. community, uh, going to this type of run and just, you know, it, it's a cool thing for the fans and uh, the Laker community. So I, I was excited to see him there. I thought he had a good game. I didn't get to watch um, every part of it. But, you know, he finished with, I think, what, 42 points? Right? Yeah. Um, a lot of missed threes, but they said he had the fadeaway going, a lot of dunks. Um, but <laughs> I really saw, I really appreciated that the guys were out there competing against him, though. Yeah. Um, you know, people were making comments about uh, one of the guys that was guarding him. I think his name is Dion, but everybody on Dion Wright yeah. on Twitter was referring to him as uh, Richard Jefferson and just all kinds of like, uh, just crazy nicknames. But he was out there competing, and you know, it, it, it was good to see. Like, you know, Bron's there to put on a show, but him and his team were there trying to win, and Bron and them barely pulled out the victory. So. Just imagine right. if he didn't win or if he didn't show up, the, who could have won that game? So um, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I don't think you're going to see him do that again. Um, so it was definitely a treat for the fans. And um, it was a packed house, standing room only from what I could see. Yeah. No, I, I loved it that he uh, that he participated. And like you said, Chelsea, it's probably the last time he'll ever do anything like that. So I think for the people to experience that and just for us to see that, I think that's a, it was just dope for him to come out and, and, and do that. And for people to say, like, plumbers or whatever, like, I don't know if he's just trying to paint a narrative, but, like, it's, like you said, overseas players. There's former NBA guys that are playing in the Drew League. I mean, it's a high-level, you know, um, like pro am event and like I, I I just think it's funny when I read those headlines of people talking because I'm like some of the people that are saying that stuff I'm like okay if you played in that you wouldn't score a bucket <laughs> I have no idea like <laughs> killed out there like 99 percent of people saying that would get killed out there yeah oh so, yeah you know like do your research or you know you just want to say something to spark something up cool but there's those are those are pros. Those are guys that made money, made or make money playing basketball. At the end of the day, uh, yeah. those are not plumbers, you know. No, <laughs> Dion Wright. Yeah, he's he's a professional player, and like you said, Chelsea, they won by two. LeBron scores forty two. Like shh, they barely won by two. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 good competitive basketball. It's great to see him out there. Speaking of competitive basketball, Chelsea, talk to us a little bit about Nike Nationals on the girls' side. Um, obviously, your team, uh, Team Tarashi slash the Mob, went out there. Uh, you went out there during the time the WNBA WNBA All Star Game was out there. So talk talk a little bit about that. Yes, uh, two Saturdays two Saturdays ago, um, Chicago was rocking. I mean, we had the WNBA All Star Game going on in Wintrust Arena, and then literally right across the street um, in the Convention Center, McCormick, I believe. Um, we had Nike Nationals. So Nike Nationals is an EYBL event, um, one of the biggest uh, tournaments basically of the summer. Um, they had about 100 and maybe 20 courts. Like literally they were using two sides of convention center, 60 courts on one side, 60 on the other. Um, and it was just a lot of basketball um, all the way from 14 and under to 17 and under. So a lot of teams there. My team was there. So um I'm coaching with Team Tarasi. That's a mixture of Las Vegas girls and California girls. We actually combined forces with them. And we took about seven teams to the tournament. And we had a lot of success. Uh, my girls really surprised me. Um, they're 17 and under. And they are. this is one of their last opportunities to get recruited and you know try to get a yeah. basketball scholarship. Um, I always tell them the goal is to have your education paid for. So I, I took a group out there uh, right now. 
Um, I don't have anybody that is committed or definitively going anywhere, but got a lot of positive feedback, a lot of, you know, calls from coaches. So I'm really hoping to see that uh, some of my girls um, could end up, you know, at a school in the fall or next fall. Um, so that was exciting. But meanwhile, across the street, um, I did get a chance to peek over at the WNBA All-Star Game. And the first thing I want to say is the WNBA has to do better. I want to talk a little bit about just the setup. Not even so. I'm going to go on to the game after that. But, um, I mean, we had All-Star in Las Vegas last year. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Las Vegas Aces branding, media marketing is head and shoulders by far number one in the WNBA. Like they go all out. Uh, if you've ever been to an Aces game in particular, you can drive on the strip and you're going to see on Allegiant Stadium, a, a billboard, some type of player, some type of, you know, upcoming games. Just they have incredible support um, and incredible marketing when it comes to the team. So when they had the WNBA All-Star here, it, it was huge. Like just the optics of it, the branding, everything was top tier and probably the best that I've ever seen or I've been around for, and I've been to a couple all-star games. So sure. uh, the disappointment that, you know, I felt, and I believe a lot of other fans felt, um, cause we saw this just kind of on social media, the reaction, um, it, it just was very poorly put together. Um, it looked like the WNBA kind of just said, okay, the all-star game is here, you know, let's, you know, get ready to, <laughs> to play this game. There wasn't really anything spectacular. It didn't really make you feel like, you know, wow, this is an all-star game. So I, I really felt like that was disappointing because, you know, you want people to get behind this league. Um, you want people to recognize the legitimacy of the league. You know, we're always having people on social media downplaying, um, you know, women's basketball in general. So I, I think there's no room for us to lack in certain departments where we can give people more ammunition and more fuel to, you know, judge the league or look, you know, down upon it. So, so I didn't like that. I felt like the WNBA didn't really take the event seriously. They had a lot of events planned. Um, I talked to a couple of my Chicago people because I played for Chicago in 2018. So a lot of the fans and just people that I've developed relationships with um, over the years uh, were present. Uh, they paid for you know certain access to different to different things that were going on during the All Star Weekend, and and it was very limited. Um, the president of the WNBA came out and said. Uh, that they had to close off certain events because they were afraid of gun violence and the safety. But it's like, okay, I paid for this all access weekend pass and now I can't go to this event and that event and this event. And, you, you know, it, it just seemed like it was a mess. Um, so I was very disappointed just that they didn't really go out with a bang like I felt like they needed to, especially this being a special all-star game. Uh, we had Sylvia Fowles and Sue Bird, who've recently announced their retirement. Um, so, you know, these are legends in our league. I believe Sylvia Fowles is a eight-time All-Star. Sue Bird is a 13-time All-Star. Um, yeah. You know, so heralded players in our league already said that this would be their last season. And I felt like this was an opportunity to make it really special. Um, and the players and the game itself, you know, you felt that love and those positive vibes, but just the optics and the setup on the WNBA's side of preparation and just getting this game together, I, I just don't think that they did a good job. So, you know, that was disappointing. But as far as the game goes, uh, the game was decent. Uh, you know how these all-star games go. Um, sure. Not a lot of defense, a lot of shooting, a lot of offense. So it was really high scoring. I think like 114 to 111, something in that range. Um, but it was pretty exciting. We had a couple first-time All-Stars. Um, Sabrina Inesco uh, from New York, point guard 
first-time All-Star Kelsey Plum, Las Vegas Aces, first-time All-Star uh, Ryan Howard, a potential Rookie of the Year from Atlanta, first-time All-Star. So uh, we had a lot of young, talented girls in the game. Uh, Kelsey Plum ended up winning the MVP. I believe she had 30 points on the night, and that ties Maya Moore's uh, record for uh, most points scored in an All-Star game. So that was pretty cool to see. And then, obviously, Sil Sylvia Fowles got a steal on a fast break, so she had a dunk. Um, so everybody was excited to, you know, kind of see her do that at her age and her kind of being on her way out and, um, and just kind of the farewell to, to Sue Bird, uh, and her was, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. So overall, I think the game was nice. Um, I want to point out that the girls did take a time to recognize Brittany Griner. Um, everybody on their jerseys wore uh, 42 and Griner on the back. So that was kind of just, you know, to just let her know that, you know, they're thinking of her. She's going on over four months um, being detained, you know, in Russia. And they're actually, they recently released a photo of her holding a picture of all the players wearing her jersey. So um, she obviously, you know, being her situation, I can't imagine. But, you know, she felt the love um, that, you know, that she just has her girls behind her. So um, overall, uh, the WNBA could have did better in terms of their preparation, but uh, the girls made it work. It was exciting for the fans. Like I said, a lot of positive takeaways in terms of just the young talent in the league. Most of the girls that played in the game were like under 26. So the future is pretty bright. And um, I think, you know, hopefully it'll be better um, and they can learn from some of the things that they did, um, you know, this game and have a better, just complete showing, um, especially on the WNBA side next year. Yeah. So, Chelsea, do you think the game or the league should have it like uh, keep rotating and try different sites? Or you think, say, hey, you know, people love Las Vegas. They love coming. We already had the activation here. We have the facilities. Should it just be in Las Vegas and people be like, hey, I'm going to go watch the WNBA All-Star game in Las Vegas. I already know that. I mean, I feel like you can rotate it, but you have to. I don't like the Chicago's not safe. So we had it here, but we're not going to do anything here because it's not safe. Like, I just don't like that narrative. Well, then don't have it there. Like, you know what I mean? If you're not going to be able to put on, you know, a complete show for the fans and the people that maybe even travel to the game. Like, I'm sure there was right. people at the game that aren't from Chicago. You know, they're, okay. they're getting one thing, but then they get there to find out that, oh, you know, this event is closed off because, you know, we're afraid of gun violence. So uh, I think that you can have the all-star game anywhere, but just make it be an all-star game. It shouldn't feel like a high school pep rally. Like it has to be, you know, something legitimate. And another thing that just kind of bothers me about the whole concept too, like the WNBA just got $75 million in funding. And I still till this day, and I'm sure the players too, where is that money? Where did it go? It didn't go to, to charter planes. Like it didn't go to WNBA all-star because I mean, I could have put on a better assembly you know, myself. So it's like, where's, where's the money going? That, that's what makes the WNBA like not credible. Like nobody knows like what's happening. Like things just happen. And then we just laugh to say, scratch our head and say, why? Wow. Why do you think, um, do you think like when they said, oh, this event's closed off, blah, blah, do you think it's just because of lack of preparation or did, was, are they were serious about like, you know, the gun violence? I mean, they, they've been knowing about this for, you know, how long do they, they know what, years and in advance? They've known for months that the WNBA star was going to be in Chicago. Right. And the main event that I heard was closed off to the people that thought they were going was Chance the Rapper. He did a performance there. You know, Chicago native. Mm -hmm. He did a performance. And 
I don't know exactly where they had it, but wherever it was, like it was closed off to people who thought that they should have access to it if they're paying for, you know, the full, you know, all-star package. So, you know, the, I, I'm saying the gun violence thing because that's what Kathy said, the president of the WBA. She came out and said that they're worried about safety. This is a quote from her. Like she didn't say gun violence, but she said, you know, we had to limit certain things because of safety and, you know, big crowds and stuff like that. Like, but it's just like, don't have it there. If if you think that that is such a major issue, like yeah. don't have it there. So I, I don't know, but it was a mess. Yeah, the the threat of something happening can just it's all over. It's pervasive everywhere. So I don't think that that's a problem. And like you, Ani said, you've known Chicago has been Chicago for how many years now? Like, I mean, you know, it's it's we know all that. You know, um, it's funny, like. You talk about Ben Wilson and, and him. Somebody was mentioning that they, they follow Ben Wilson's story, and he got shot a few days before the first game his senior year in the fall of 1984. 1984, like way before Ja Morant was born. And um, the the amount of people who died in, from gun violence that year was like in the 500s in Chicago. Well. 40, 35 years later, the number's in the 500. Like, it hasn't, nothing's changed. Like, we know that. Like, nothing's changed. So you have an event there. You know the risk. I mean, there's risk risk at every event, you know? So nowadays, you just, there's always something happening. I I, I was texting you guys last week, and I was like, I know, Ani, you were uh, probably already, you were gone, remember, but I didn't know if Chelsea was out at a game or she was out. And I was like, guys, I'm hearing there's, like, an active shooter near the Aria. And it's just, like, it's all the time. You know, it's almost like all the time now, like something could be happening. So, yeah, that's no excuse. Obviously, let's hope the WNBA keeps working, keeps getting better, uses the $75 million in a capacity that makes sense for everybody in the league. Uh, talk a little bit about Kelsey Plum. Chelsea, um, did she just step her game up this year for the Aces or was just a natural progression? Like she's going to make the All-Star game at some point and, and then a veteran moved off or, you know, she took somebody's spot. Or did she, has she really gotten a lot better? Oh. Um. She, she's incredible. Um, and she actually has been incredible. I think this sure. year uh, she just kind of stepped into a new role uh, yeah. with Beckingham and taking over the reins as a coach. Uh, Bill Lambeer last year had Kelsey coming off the bench and she was most improved player of the year. Um, but the talent has always been there. Uh, yeah. She had a little bit of an adjustment period. Uh, she was originally drafted number one to um, San Antonio. Then they flipped over to the Aces. And, you know, her first couple of years in the league, she was kind of, you know, trying to figure it out. Uh, just kind of adjust to the pace, you know, playing in college, she scored a ton of points, but you know, yeah. that doesn't always translate when, you know, you're playing against bigger, more athletic, you know, faster, more talented girls, you know? So yeah. um, I think she had a little bit of adjustment period, but I always tell people like skill can trump a lot of things, you know, she doesn't have to be the most incredible athlete, um, but she's very skilled and she's very, uh, crafty and savvy with the basketball and she could shoot. So ultimately that will always translate when you figure out, you know, after you've had a little bit of, you know, experience and time, you know, playing. So I think what you're seeing now is Kelsey Blum stepped into a starter role. Um, she's getting increased minutes. She has a neon green light from uh, Becky Hammond. So she can shoot whenever she wants to. Confidence is all time high. And, you know, she's kind of coming into her own and just getting what she's deserved. She She's going to be an all-star in this league uh, for many years to come. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, how about any other 
uh, has anybody surprised you this year? Or was there any surprising all-star? Maybe a first-time all-star, like a girl who's – if Kelsey's not really a surprise, like you said, she's one of the all-time leading scorers in the NCAA and she's a number one pick. Is there anybody out there that uh, is stepping up her game or that you're surprised by? Uh, I wouldn't say surprise, but I, I really like uh, the transition that the rookie Ryan Howard um, has made just from college to uh, the WNBA. They talked a lot about just her motor – um, you know, her body language, you know, sometimes people think if you're not super vocal and rah, 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 like you're not playing hard or you don't really, you know, want to be there. Like she, she's sure. very much like uh, Kawhi Leonard in a sense that she's not going to like have a lot of antics or a lot of like, you know, reaction um, in the game, sure. but you know, she's super effective. Uh, she came into the league, number one pick. Uh, people had doubts, like I said, just about her motor and stuff like that. And, and, and she's been awesome. Um, I will say that she benefited a little bit early on. Um, Atlanta had a lot of their main, um, probably best players on the team unavailable to start the season. So that gave her, you know, um, a lot of minutes, um, a little bit of a longer leash. I mean, she's, you know, the number one pick, so she's going to be able to stay out there anyway. But I'm just saying, like, you know, to be able to make mistakes because the better people, you know, aren't out there to snatch you out of the game kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So we saw her kind of go through that adjustment period. And I'm excited to see how she's going to adjust now during the second half of WNBA season. Now that, you know, she's on the top of everybody's scouting report. Um, but also, too, her better players are coming back. So maybe that'll make life a little bit easier. At first, they were able to double her and, you know, throw different defenses on her. But now she's going to have her better players alongside. So I think that, if anything, she should keep, you know, kind of trending upward in terms of her, her play. Uh, one other person that I want to note out is uh, Sabrina Inesco from an excuse, sorry, from New York Liberty. Uh, she was the number one pick last year and she, she struggled when she first came to the league. She had an ankle injury, didn't play a lot of, uh, didn't play a lot of games her first season because uh, she was out right away uh, with a high ankle sprain. But, you know, now she's, she's got it going and she is clicking on all cylinders. Uh, New York made an adjustment where they brought another ball handling guard uh, to put alongside her. They signed a free agent, uh, Crystal Dangerfield, who was actually WNBA Rookie of the Year last year. Uh, she was released by Minnesota in training camp this year, bounced around, went to Indiana, and now found a home in New York. So they've paired her alongside Sabrina uh, to take away a little bit of the pressure, the ball handling responsibilities, and now Sabrina's got it going. Uh, about three weeks ago, she had a crazy triple-double. It was like yeah. 30, 11, 10, zero turnovers. Um, oh. So she's figuring it out. She She's on her way. Um, and I think we'll see her in the all-star game for, for years to come as well. So I have a question. Like, when you look at the NBA, you look at, like, the top players, right? Like, LeBron, he's 37. You got Steph and Kawhi and KD. Like, they're all aging. The next five years, the NBA, like, the teams that are contending is going to be a big change, right? Like, in the WNBA, you talked about Sue Bird. You know, she this her last year, Fouson her last year, like, you're talking about a lot of young talent in WNBA, uh, like under 26, under 25. Who's the next group that's like going to be championship contender year after year after year, you know, as the aging stars are, you know? Ooh, that's a good question. I want to say it's hard to just pinpoint, you know, a group. I can give you players because we're starting to actually see the landscape of the WNBA change. Like we're seeing – you know, these star players kind of team up or, and, and leave, maybe go ring chase a little bit. We, we saw that with Tina Charles, um, you know, taking a massive, massive pay cut as a max player in the WNBA. She should 
you know, demand 215,000 from pretty much any team. But you saw at the beginning of this year, she signed with Phoenix for, for 120, you know, cause she wanted to play alongside Brittany Griner. She wanted to play alongside Diana and Skylar Diggins and, you know, the, what they thought stacked team they would have over there with the Phoenix Mercury. Um, you know, and she was trying to get her a ring. So you, you see a lot of young talent and you see, you know, sometimes it's clustered with certain teams. I, I want to pinpoint Indiana, who has a lot of young talent with their draft class. They're always going to be, um, until they get some veteran pieces and some core pieces, probably a bottom team in the league. And they're actually probably dead last, you know, uh, at this point in time right now. But you just see the young talent and, you know, how they're trying to build something, even though it's going to take some time. Kind of like you see with, you know, the Houston Rockets in the NBA. Um, so I just think the the group that we have, like you said, a lot of the girls that were present in that game, I think we're going to see them bounce around. I think, you know, they're going to like they're talking about Kelsey Plum. She, she's up for an extension right now. She demands a max contract. The Aces are, you know, willing to they they've made room to to be able to sign her. De'Erica Hamby signed an extension, took a pay cut. Chelsea Gray, a small, small pay cut. You know, they made room for her, but she hasn't signed it yet. So I, that lets me know that she's going to probably leave and, you know, kind of go to another team. So I, I don't see a team that I can say, oh, wow, this team is coming because I just see the pieces, you know, of the puzzle kind of shifting. I, I look at Connecticut Sun, who's been in the in the mix, uh, in the playoff mix, uh, contending, I guess, for the last couple of years. You know, Brianna Jones, she's she's up for. Um, she's about to be a free agent and everybody in the league wants her. So will she be on Connecticut's team next year? Probably not. Like, you know, so it, it's hard for me to give you a team that I think is going to just kind of contend for years to come because I, I see the landscape changing, just like in the NBA where people are just kind of bouncing around and making it work for them. Right. Yeah. So. The, the follow-up question I have, Chelsea, is you mentioned and it kind of caught my attention is a girl was the rookie of the year, then cut. Okay, so, so, okay let, let's talk about that for a minute. She's rookie of the year one year, then cut in training camp. So is the w, uh, w, w rookie wall kind of the same as the NBA? Like do uh, obviously the contraction and the amount of players on one team 11, it's very difficult to make the league in general, and it's very difficult for rookies to stick or to have an impact. So. Do they do do the WNBA rookies reach a wall similar to like you would say in the NBA? Maybe in the second half they struggle or they get a scatter report on them, or is the season short enough where if you, you know you, you're playing a certain way or that your talents a certain way, you'll get through? Or or do rookies hit a wall just like any other pro league? I don't really see rookies hitting a, a wall as much as they do in the NBA. I, I see a lot of the struggle often coming in the beginning. You know, that adjustment period, just playing with girls that are just bigger, stronger, faster. Um, sure. I, I see more of the hard transition just happening early on. Usually after the first season, um, I'll, let's talk Skylar Diggins for a little bit. Skylar yeah. Diggins uh, had a, a struggle of a rookie year. Everybody, you know, she's not good. If she was not Skylar Diggins, she would have been cut, you know. But, and, and all things are, are, are pretty true because you've, you've seen that happen with you know, other players across the board. But then Skyler came back in year two and was absolutely incredible. Changed the narrative, got better, stayed in the gym, um, figured out how to pick her spots. Um, and, you know, she's been an all-star in this league, a perennial all-star pretty much, you know, since her, I think, third or fourth season. So I think the transition period is just hard in the beginning. After that, you pretty much make that adjustment and you're fine. Uh, when you talk about Crystal Dangerfield and why she was released um, after being Rookie of the Year, it's just limited space and just, you know, Crystal Dangerfield wasn't a lottery pick. She was drafted in the second round. She's an undersized guard. 
a very hard-nosed tough. She actually played in Israel this past season, so I played against her multiple times. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of what the coach is looking for and the fact that roster spots are limited. You know, every season things yeah. – Things can change in terms of cap and salary and who you sign. You know, you're allowed to carry 12 players. You might take 11 because maybe you got this free agent who demands a lot of money and now you don't have any money to fill out the roster. Or, you know, okay, Crystal Dangerfield's a rookie, but now she's out of her rookie contract because it's been two years and now we have to pay her a little more. So let me get this other rookie who's cheaper. You know, it, it's not always a you know, she's not good enough to play thing. Because there's a lot of people that aren't in the league uh, for various reasons that were on rosters one year and off a roster the next year. Sure. Um, it's just about space and making the cap fit and what's happening in that season. And like like we just talked about landscape shifting, it just depends on who joins the team if, if my spot is going to be safe for the next season. Yeah, oh, that's great insight. That's interesting because, yeah, when you say that and you say rookie of the year gets cut, you're like, wow. You know, if you, you yeah, it's it, it's sick, and I, and I actually one thing I will say is I'm hoping that the the collective bargaining agreement when you know um, it's up for the WNBA that they're able to make some small changes. Um, you know, everybody is demanding expansion, expansion, but I, but I think the first step is expanding the rosters. Like, let's forget about having a new team. Let's make sure the rosters are at 15. Let's have a guaranteed clause where if I'm a top 10 or a first round pick in the WNBA, you have to give me two years. Like you can't just sure. bring me in and, and cut me the next day. Otherwise, there's no incentive for these young girls who are playing yeah. as hard as they possibly can in college for, for a dream to play in the WNBA, to work hard, to get drafted, to not know if they're going to be on the roster after they after they were put on the team. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that's just nuts. I'm not saying that, you know, some of these girls come and they're not who we think they are. You know, sure. it doesn't pan out. So that happens everywhere. But but I'm just saying, like, the uncertainty when I'm the I, – I, we've seen the number four pick get cut. We've seen the number seven pick get cut. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is <laughs> their first round time. <laughs> I think Bonnie likes that. Bonnie's like, hey, you're the best. You're the best. You make the team. No, I'm not about that. Like, it's literally just sick. They will cut you and not think twice. And I'm the number three pick. I'm the number four pick. Like, come on. Bonnie's like, hey, you got the skills, you get paid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but I can have all the skills I want to. If you're going to put Diana Taurasi at age 50 on the roster, it doesn't matter what I do. You can, yeah. You're going to put her on the roster regardless. You're going to put her on the roster. Yeah, they got to make room. Some of these some of these teams are not willing to, and, and that's the problem. Yeah. So I want the roster to go to 15. I want there to be some type of clause for rookies to have a legitimate chance. And if they bounce out after two years, then so be it. But I, I shouldn't get bounced out after 30 days, Ani. You know the draft is <laughs> <laughs> the draft is right after college basketball pretty much ends. Then WNBA is a month and a half after that. How am I cut already? This is what it is. <laughs> that's my thoughts. Yeah. No, that's good insight. We, we appreciate it. And we hope your girls do get a couple some looks down the line. I know you work hard with them. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. You and Sequoia uh, – work with them do you guys have another trainer to work with them you know what, what do you guys normally do on a, on a regular let's just say school's out and it's a regular um you know week and it is, let's say the week before the tournament what, what are you guys doing um it's a total collective effort like i said we have multiple okay. teams so uh, sure. one thing that's big in our program is everybody pretty much has a team but we like to have two coaches on the bench when there's tournaments and games at all times. So even sure. though I coach 17s, you know, I have to jump on the bench for 14 you. I have to jump on the bench as an assistant coach for 15 you. So we have multiple coaches. Uh, we practice two times a week 
on Monday and Thursdays in the evenings. Um, and we kind of just split into groups. Usually we start a warm up uh, with everybody. Usually the 17s and 16s are together. And then we split, uh, break off into our, our own teams and work on, you know, different things. Um, but yeah, so everybody's pretty much, you know, kind of doing their thing with different age groups. This year, Sequoia is with 16s. Um, so she has a little bit of younger group and I'm with 17s. But other than that, all the coaches are doing their part. Uh, we do private workouts all the time um, where they, the girls can come and just get extra work and skill work. Because obviously when we're in that team setting, it's not always, you know, we don't have time for that. You know, usually practice for, you know, two times a week. We're getting about three hours in uh, for the week and, and we have a tournament shortly after. So we're doing team concepts, defense, offense, where we're going to run. And then, you know, boom, we kind of hit the ground running when the game starts. So um it, it, it's it's a big deal though like I'm, I'm just happy to be able to do my part with you know the girls in my community uh but there's a lot of people that are just kind of making the the wheels of of the team Tarasi bus turn um our director Aaron Thorne um our uh, co-director um Julius Barron um really make everything happen and you know me I just kind of slide in when I'm in town you know so I'm home for the summer so I'm working with my girls but I'll, you know, take a leave of absence when I go overseas and then kind of just pick up where I left off when I get back. Yep. Ani, speaking of overseas, let's talk a little bit real quick before we get into uh, the live period. Talk just a little bit about USA basketball and what you thought of them. Obviously, they won for the sixth time, the, the 17 U FIBA World Cup. Um, they won it in Spain. I believe they beat Spain. But, uh, you know, anything stood out to you there? Um, obviously, it's not a surprise they won. Right. They obviously won the 18 uh, in Mexico a month ago or so, but no surprise that they won. But did anything surprise you in terms of maybe roster standing out or any of the uh, play? Uh, no, I mean, just I don't want to say surprise, but Cooper Flag just solidified himself as the best player in that class. Oh, wow. I mean, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, wing. I mean, he's crazy skilled, advanced score. I mean, I think he had a triple-double one game. Yeah. Uh, like – I mean, this is a rising sophomore. <laughs> uh, knows how to score, rebounds, plays hard, high passer feel. I mean, Cooper was fantastic. Um, you know, the, I know there's a couple outlets like on three and some other cast. They they put him as the top, uh, the best prospect right now in the country, regardless. Of oh wow! Yeah, so like that's you know, that's got a main right, honey. Cooper flag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he. I mean, he got a chance. I mean, I. I don't see him. You know, being in high school till twenty twenty five. You know, <laughs> either he's gonna class up or you know he's gonna he's gonna do something. I mean, but that twenty five class in the country. I mean, is really good. You know, your yeah. top three is like Cooper, Cameron Boozer, who's from Florida, Carlos Boozer's son, and then Coa Pete out of uh, California. Um, you know, those are. But that class is loaded. I mean, that's that's a, that's yeah. a look class uh jeremy fierce was really good uh guard um he was consistently productive ron holland uh out of dallas um he was really good just high motor you know really good transition player runs the lanes finishes rebounds out of his area can guard multiple positions uh yeah like you know the whole U the usa group was solid uh your your boy, uh we talked about uh like dennis evans um you know it was a little bit too fast for him. He's starting to get a good feel for it. But, like, I think it tells you a lot where Dennis Evans was uh, last year, even though we all – I mean, Ronnie kind of noticed him first. Yeah. But you knew he was going to be a high major player. But from kind of going to just this kind of raw 
big man that, you know, can see it, but, you know, long ways to go. And he still has ways to go, but now being on the Team USA roster and getting, you know, five, six minutes a game. And even though the game still needs to slow down for him, you know, just seeing him in that environment was interesting. It was a good eval. Uh, but, you know, USA did their part. I thought um, Cooper Flag was fantastic. Cole Pete was on that team. He was good. Yeah. Uh, he he was he was good, you know. Just showed his versatility with his size. I mean, he's every bit of what like what do you say, Ronnie? About six seven, six eight as well. Yeah, six uh, seven ish. Yeah, six seven ish. And um, and then Ron Holland and Fears. And um, I know I'm probably missing someone on top of my head, but uh, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about our guy Ian, man. Oh, Ian was good. Oh, man. I knew I was missing someone. I was like. Oh, I'm, missing, I'm missing somebody. I'm missing somebody. My mind went blank. Ian was great. Um, he was really good, you know, just as a scorer, you know, sometimes operates as the primary ball handler, just, you know, uses his length, you know, to really, like, cover ground on the defensive end. And um, he was good just as a scorer, as a as facilitator. I think down the road he can be someone that you can play on the ball in a longer spurts. Right now he's more comfortable probably as, like, an off-ball scorer or just yeah. have to do. But – I think you, we saw flashes. We saw some stuff in him that can show that he can be a playmaker um, at the one. He's every bit of a 6'4", borderline 6'5". I, I like Ian. I mean, Ian, Ian had a really, really good um, uh, <clears throat> tournament uh, along with those guys. And I just I just like to just – I like how he's progressed as just like a playmaker. And yeah. uh, he always had the scoring. But, you know, I think the, the – be able to create for others and see it and make accurate passes was was the thing I did like. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, that team was talented. They beat the host Spain 79-67 in the title game. Like you mentioned, Jeremy Fears, the point guard out of Lalamere. 17 points, six assists, three steals. Cooper Flag had – I had no Cooper such a good rebound. He had 17 rebounds, 10 points. Wow. Um, he averaged 10 rebounds for the, for the seven-game tournament. And uh, Ian was the leading scorer at 11.9. Ron Holland at 11.1. I guess those were the leading scores. But, yeah, Cooper Flag obviously turning his on. If, watching Boozer a few times this summer, if there, if let's just say for argument's sake, like uh, Coa Pete's there and Cooper Flag, like if those guys are better than Boozer, like that, that those three guys are incredible then. Cause right. Boozer, <laughs> <laughs> right. If Cooper Flag is better than him, like, yeah, dude, three great that players. Was- Really good. I mean, I got to see him in Orlando in NBA Top 100 camp. Uh, Cameron was hurt that uh, that last uh, till the last day he played the last day, and he was he still got mentioned into the All Star team at the NBA Top 100 camp, and he only played one day. Like <laughs> as a rising star, mind you, there's our 2023s, 2024s. He's a 25 play one day made yeah. the All Star team. Like, yeah. and I think he's he was the youngest to ever make the MVPA Top 100 camp All Star. Wow. Yeah. Like he was that good. Like if he played all the the whole way through, he was top three. Yeah, top three in the camp. Yeah, that's pretty awesome for those guys. Just a good to see that the young guys are making their mark and and coming up, um, coming up in this event. Speaking of uh, young guys, Ani, let's talk a little bit about uh, the the live period, and then we'll we'll jump into the summer league. Okay. Well, obviously, we went to the last live period. We're in a there was a dead week. Where we were able to go to the summer league a little bit, watch those, and then we'll be live again this week, later this week. Uh, just talk about where you went and just a couple of the standouts. Yeah, I went to Atlanta. Uh, I stayed there for a couple of days. I went to watch Under Armour. Then I went to the NBA Academy game. So, like at UAA, uh, uh, my people, Houston Defenders, uh, they won their first UA championship. Uh, shout out to Larry. 
uh, Chad Hardy, my guys, uh, uh, Aaron, um, Harrison, you know, they, what's yeah. so crazy about that, like, you know, the defenders, when we talked two years ago, like around here, people are like, oh, the defenders are done. Uh, they're like, they're not, they're, they weren't very good. They know they can keep their deal. People are talking about, oh, they shouldn't have their deal anymore, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, for them to win this championship, that that was good for them. I was happy to see, like, when everyone was talking so negative about them, for them to kind of bounce back and then have a season that they did. Um, they had a, guy, a couple guys that blew up. Uh, Chris Johnson, who's a top 50 guy in the country in 2023, he was a late addition. I think he was added, like, two days before <laughs> their first game. Uh, he's going to Monverde, uh, talented 6'4", 6'5" guard you know high field can really score the basketball does well with the ball in his hands but they had a few kids that blew up like Jalen Bernard he's kind of solidified himself as a mid-major guy uh 6-2 with like really strong next level body um just athletic you know just really embraces contact and finish uh South Carolina Upstate offered um he probably garnered about I think Longwood offered he had he got garnered like five offers from that weekend was just tough May shots had a highlight dunk like you know almost jumped over somebody and dunked it (laughs) um you know he was really good he was he was really good Jalen Bernard was good uh they had a kid Brody Robinson who reclassed and is actually going to I think the Phelps school uh yeah in 2023 and he received an offer I think he committed uh, to the school that offered him. So, like, he took a gamble on himself, got a Division One offer after uh, UAA, and uh, he committed. So, he, you know, he's going to be a Division One basketball player, which is uh, big. But, you know, uh, defenders were really good. They got a kid, Jamari McDowell, who's a high major prospect, 6'5 guard. Kansas just offered him. Um, I know a lot of some of the other Blue Bloods are starting to kind of come in on him. So, you know, defenders were really good. They played together. They played fast. They really defended. They had a lot of guys with size that can move and defend and just played together. So they were really good. Um, a couple other guys that were good, like El Marco Jackson uh, from We Are One uh, out in New Jersey. He was great, like a bully. His six three guard just, you know, really – Gets to the basket and finishes, you know, very right heavy, but saw saw him go left and still able to score the shooting. He made a lot of like perimeter shots uh, from the two games I watched. He probably was like a top three to five player overall that I saw from that uh, um, event. Uh, Derek Queen from uh, Team Thrill. Uh, they played in the championship. They played Houston Defenders. So Derek Queen, uh, who's at Montverde, he's a 2024, about 6'9". He's a skilled yeah. big. He's lost 50 pounds since last year. <laughs> yeah, like, he's really lost a lot of weight. Got to talk to him some. Great kid. Um, just like, you know, he just faces you up and he just scores in any way. Like, you know, just his footwork tremendous. His feels tremendous. The lost weight has really helped him just move, especially on the defensive end. Um, so yeah. Derek was fantastic. But he has a teammate, uh, Eli Rice, another kid that reclass. He's going to IMG postgrad. He's like a six six uh, wing, and he received an offer from Nebraska. I'm ninety percent sure that's where he wants to go. Uh, like that's probably where he's going to go. To be honest with you, sure. Uh, you know, just kind of figuring all that. Though they're setting up an official visit, but he was a kid again. Didn't have really much. Um, I know Georgetown kind of offered late, and you know guys offered late went now see reclass, but you know he kind of betted on himself, and now he's has a chance of being a high major basketball player. You know, like. Um, especially in the climate that we're in, you know, with the, the transfer portal and the, the COVID year and all that stuff. See some guys really bet on themselves and bet on their game. Like a kid like Eli Rice and Brody Robinson, um, 
that, that that's just really great to see. And it's great to see that you were in Under Armour, like those opportunities were uh, were available. Um, another kid from Under Armour, uh, JP Estrella. I got to see him in Orlando. That was my first time really getting a, a good look at him uh, from Middlesex Magic, 6'11", lefty, skilled, shoots it from the perimeter, good touch coming over that right shoulder. Uh, just really good passer, like, you know, from the high post. He he can really find cutters, the open man can attack, make no-look passes. Um, I really liked him in Orlando. He was great with uh, Middlesex Magic and Under Armour. So those guys from Under Armour really kind of stood out to me. Um, and uh, this was – I haven't been to Under Armour about two years. <laughs> uh, so it was good to just kind of see some of the guys and see how the brand is. But that NBA Academy game, I would say those games, so you had – NBA Latin America Academy, NBA Africa had uh, their academy. They had teams. You had the NBA Global Games, uh, Global Teams. They had, I think, three teams. Um, best basketball I saw. Just wow. you know, just wow. the best like basketball that I saw. Um, and nothing against Under Armour. I mean, just the bas- the level of basketball in those games were very translatable, right? Just has how they run their sets, the pace, playing through physicality, and everything. But um, Two guys really stood out to me. It was a kid, Alex Tuhi, out of Australia. He's a 2023. He's a 6'8 guard. Um, mm. skilled. <laughs> like, very skilled. Big time passer, doesn't have much of a three point shot, but his mid range game is really good. Athletic, like he got a rebound, went down, broke down two guys, and went to the basket and uh, and finished. Like just uh, above the rim, finished. Like he was really good. Like I know there's some high majors there watching him. Like guys, he's that's an NBL kid. Like you know, <laughs> you ain't gonna see him at your school. You'll see him with the New York <laughs> some. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> He was really good. He he was really good. He was arguably number one. And there was a kid from uh, Democratic of uh, I want to say Congo. I could be wrong on that, but uh, Thierry Darlan. He's a twenty twenty three. Kind of looks like Frank Nidakina did at the same age. Yeah. Six. He's a point guard. He has freakishly long arms. He's a he's hell on the defensive end. Like how he just gets by screens and like defends and block shots and steals and. Uh, sees the pass, you know, just uh, intercepts passing lanes and stuff like that. He was really good. He really shot the ball well, good feel. Like, he's someone that I think we'll talk about in the NBA draft. <laughs> you know, I don't know when, but at some point, we will see him in the draft. He was, him and Alex were just far above, like, you know, the other guys. But you saw saw some talented guys. Like, there's a guy named uh, Barry Wang. He's a, from Japan. He's a 6'9", power forward, really shoots the basketball. I saw mm-hmm. some 7'1 kids that can really shoot the basketball and can really pass. Like, you know, some of it is just like a toughness thing. They're just really skinny. They're raw. Uh, but it was it was a really good basketball, really good coaching. Like, you got Pujiter coaching. You have some guys that mm-hmm. been – Yay! That that have co that are coaching these guys and coaching them hard, um, so it was really good. I thought like you know I, they said years past there was more pros like more NBA guys, and yeah. I thought you saw a couple guys that uh, were NBA guys, and you but I saw a decent amount of like low mid you know potentially high major type guys uh, mm-hmm. that can help right now. So that that was a good thing. But the NBA Africa thing that's that's my last point like. There was a lot of young guys from 2025, some 2026s that are like 6'10, can really move, block shots. You know, saw a 6'2, 2026 player that like 
chased down and blocked and blocked with two hands, you know, like, and he's still, he just turned 14 a month ago. Like wow. there's a lot of talent in Africa. <laughs> um, it, 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 and it, it's just crazy to see seven footers that are 15 years old, 16 years old, like from there that, you know, they're just, you can see where the development can be down the road. So it was good to see, you know, as someone that is Nigerian, like to see African players, you know, young and developing and just seeing how much, how rich they are in talent, older and young. So like, I, it was, it was good to go to those games. Yeah, it sounds like it was a great evaluation uh, event, and it's great to see the, the future, you know, how the future is going to look. I mean, the NBA is just uh, so well uh, versed in terms of getting now talent from all over, whether through various academies or, or various uh, venues. So that's great. I think, didn't Benedict Madrin play on the Latin team before he went to Arizona? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's players. We talked about Benedict at the top of the show. So there's going to be more players like him. Like you said, they're not, maybe not all going. They're not NBA level players, but a lot of them will be making their mark in college. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I stayed in Southern California for that first live period. And I didn't see uh, because the shoot circuits were going on, like on you were in, in UAA, obviously uh, Nike was going on. I saw more a lower level and, you know, mid-major, low-major. The coaches were out, though, and, you know, it was a good – good a viewing period again it's a lot of guys that are going to get a scholarship or and, and four-year college guys a lot of four-year college guys and, and that's fine like you know you saw the high level guys at pangos you saw the high level guys at nba players and i'm sure we'll see a few more high level guys before the end of the summer but uh what i saw is i went to the pangos premiere 80 i'll just rattle off some names of guys i'll just go in order i'm just going straight off my list uh shane dumas sanchez from Albuquerque, New Mexico, 6'1", 223s, good jumper, playing with a lot of confidence. You know, he can get a scholarship. Caden uh, Bailey, like a combo guard, 226 from Orange Lutheran in Southern California. He's going to be a high-level player. He did really well. Um, Jalen Milt from Northview of Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, had the pull-up game going, solid, big body. He kind of, he kind of would, if you saw him, he kind of remind you of Marcus Smart, that type of player. Okay. Uh, just big body and, and can handle the ball physical. Parker Strauss, that's uh, Strauss is his last name. 6'4", 223, a slasher. Uh, moves well. He's from Pacifica Christian, Newport Beach. He's starting to get D1 interest. Uh, Pearson Carmichael from Summit in Bend, Oregon. Uh, he knows how to how to score. Good shot. Played smart smart game. Six five two twenty three. Uh, Zaire Beverly was kind of a sleeper. He's from LA Washington High School. He hasn't been playing basketball for more than two years. Gangly. I think Ani, you might have seen him before. I'm not sure. What's his name? Uh, Zaire Beverly. He's very gangly. The best basketball is ahead of him, but he's going to get some D1 looks. He's got a few offers now. New Mexico State offered him. Okay. Seven, six, eight. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, dude, he's a San Diego State type of athlete, that kind of guy. Like in two or three years, he'll be able to help. You'll be able to help. He's like, we'll take him. I'm telling him, people are going to find out about him. He plays for Rock, ICANN, All Stars. Um, You know, again, is is uh, it's very interesting how he's just coming on pretty fast because again he doesn't have a lot of experience the best player at the one day event was nicholas kamenia 
He's from Harvard Westlake. He's going to be a national recruit. He's hitting a lot of shots. Uh, six foot eight, making plays is a nice pull up jumper. Mm. He's about six seven, six eight. He's two twenty five. Uh, he's he really the coaches were really raving about him a bunch, and and there was a good amount of coaches there for that one day event. So that started it on that on that uh, Wednesday, and then there was a lot of events. Uh, Ani, you know. There's five events at one time, as we know, that's a little watered down. <laughs> like, you can't two – two events didn't even have coaches. Like, they didn't even – they couldn't even make it over there. It's just – again, there's a lot of reasons for that. We talked about uh, the landscape changing a little bit. They got to focus on the guys that that they're going to offer or potentially offer. I mean, they can take a flyer here and there, but they just don't have time. And then their, their, their staffs are split. Some of them are at the shoe companies. And they got to make the best use of their time at these events where there's independent, you know, independent teams. And a coach told me this, and we'll do an episode on this in the future. Like, we need to do an episode on how the players now, like, the strategy of getting a scholarship. And you kind of mentioned earlier, Ani, that, like, if you get offered, you kind of have to take it. Like, you can't just be, oh, I'm going to get something bigger. I'm going to, you know, I'll go higher. Like, that's not, this is not the atmosphere to be doing that in for you got to be more realistic than ever. So uh, the coaches are more realistic. Obviously, they're 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 asking about names and they're trying to get people to follow and and, and potentially guys that they may see may portal up to them or or bounce back to them. But overall, like they're trying to focus on the guys who they're giving a scholarship to. So I spent most of my time at the Cali Live Summer Showcase and then uh, Pangos uh, Sweet Sixteen had some good players. So I'll, I'll just go, rattle off some of the Cali Live guys. Uh, there was one guy I did see over at the Open Gym premiere. Uh, he, I went specifically to watch him. He's 226, Chay Brogan. He plays for So California All-Stars. He's like a Manu Ginobili type slashing player. Um, plays just like that, lefty, gets to the rim, uh, covers ground. He's actually Tommy Lewis's son, and Tommy Lewis was a McDonald's All-American who played mm -hmm. for Pat Barrett himself there, you know, many, many years ago. And he's the head coach now at Valley Christian high school in Cerritos, which is not too far, uh, you know, from, from where I'm at in, in Southern California. Uh, Cameron Mercadel was good. He's placed for BTI Select 16U. He goes to Santa Margarita High School. Nice first step. I thought he played well. He's a good uh, 224 prospect, 6'1", can play off the ball a little bit quick. Kyle Evans, who's a 222. So he's a, like a – be a post-grad or this. He's already done with his high school algebra. He played for the Cali Rebels. He had a good – Good shot blocking. Uh, Ani, he played against our guy Isaiah Miranda, and he had a really good game. Yeah. You know, Isaiah played for Rhode Island Elite. Rhode Island Elite was out here. And uh, Kyle made himself well. He's, you know, big sky type. Maybe, maybe goes D2, but, like, he did really well in, in that week, and some people are taking notice. Eric Brown, six foot seven, two twenty three, Lake Show, 17U. He goes to Archbishop Mitty High School. I thought he had good skill level. He did well for himself. Uh, Travis Hightower, 223-66, NorCal Ducks. He can play, and, you know, he should be getting some looks. Uh, Lola Rudolph played for the Oakland Soldiers, 16U. Mm -hmm. St. Augustine, six foot two guard. I thought he's one of the best defenders I saw all week. He really gave great effort. Lolo's a D1 player. Uh, Joseph Sterling is a 226 as well, six foot three. Shoots it well. He played for Paul George Elite, uh, one of the younger teams. Paul George Elite had some good younger talent. A real two, a real good sleeper, the kid who I think is whoever picks him up is going to get themselves a good player. 
He's also 222, but he's going to uh, post grad is William Hebro. He's six foot six, and he just has a good size to skill ratio. I mean, at six six, he can really shoot it. He can spot up shoot. He can catch and shoot. And I just had his size and at his, his skills. Somebody's going to pick him up. He plays for Team Rampage. I didn't really even know about him much until late in the high school season. He played at Archie Williams High School in the Bay Area, which is a really small school. Um, I just thought he's coming along. And some, some D1s are now on him. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him being offered. And, and then the player I thought who really played well and probably the best all-around performance, and he's my last guy, is also for the Oakland Soldier 16, is Jace Butler, 6'4", mm -hmm. 6'5", He's a lefty, just knows how to move. He's crafty, kind of like Jalen Brunson. Just his pace and his speed is good. He's under control. He can really shoot it. So those were the standouts for, for me. And, again, Ani, it's obviously a different level than probably what you saw during the course of the five days. But, like, it's good. And um, this upcoming week I'll see a little bit of higher level. Uh, Adidas is coming to Southern California, so that will that will be uh, my focus. But overall, it was good. Again, um, like we said, we'll we'll come back and talk about. A uh, college coach wanted to. He mentioned he's like, I want to listen to your podcast, and I want you guys to talk about this. I'm like, great, you know. He's just trying to do the other kids a favor. They're not all going to go to his school, but he's like, these kids are. There were so many teams, and so many people who are playing who are not even getting watched by colleges. So it's like. Oh my, you know, like we gotta. I don't know how that's gonna change. I don't think that's gonna change just because just the, the culture people love basketball and it's, it's a great thing, but like the realistic part of where they're going, you know, that's something that people need to know. Uh, just more about the process, especially it's a lot different than before COVID. You know, we, we got yeah. this portal still going crazy, and and uh, the kids have to be realistic. And it's not I, just the kids, obviously. It's the I people. Have a question for you, though, Ronnie. Yeah. So you made the made mention of just like, hey, if you get a scholarship offer, like you kind of have to take it. But yeah. do you think these kids are deceived a little bit? Like I'm hearing you and Adi talk about all these events, shoes, circuit. There's so many events that these kids are really thinking like, okay, well, you know, yeah, I got this offer, but I got six more events before the summer ends, you know, to have another yeah. chance and another opportunity. So, you know, you just talk about landscape. I just think with so many events, also, you have the transfer portal, which I feel like is the real hindrance of these kids because a lot of these sure. schools are just taking college players that are already developed and already have two years under their belt when they transfer. Um, sure. I think that kind of leads a little bit to the delusion of I have time or I'm going to go bigger. So I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on that because it's like there's there's so many events. It's too many. Even I feel with, with my girls, like we went from, you know, we plan in Chicago a day later, they're in Indiana. Then they're back in Vegas. Like every week there's something. So, you know, that's why these kids have the mentality. I think of that, but I just want to get your opinion on it. Yeah. I think that um, there hasn't been enough time that need to be educated, like of this cycle, like uh, the, the spring offers for high school kids are not coming as they were before COVID. Meaning like you play well into your senior year, maybe you dominate, at the end of your senior year and in some playoff games or something. And then the coaches see you maybe at an all-star game. And, and obviously we're not talking about McDonald's or Jordan, just like at a local game or something you play in and maybe they'll pull the trigger. But I, I just think those um, opportunities are going because then they're going to play in the spring again. Meaning like if you graduated and you don't have nothing, you'll play in the spring, but those coaches are not this past spring. They weren't out as much and they're basically hosting Visit like as you mentioned, 
natural. That is their priority. They're not going to go watch a kid who maybe they'll take a flyer on. Like they're going to host those those visits and hopefully uh, get some commitments, like you said, from experienced players. So if those spring opportunities are much more limited and the colleges are not getting out as much, and if the high school season, you know, you have a pretty good solid offer. Let's say you just get, get, I'm not putting anybody on the spot, but let's say you get offered by New Mexico or Pepperdine or, or USF. And like, it's a good offer and you kind of like it. You got to have to kind of say, okay, you know what? This is good place for me. Uh, yeah. If you want to wait till uh, U of A or, you know, Washington and Cal and UCLA offer you like, that's not like you said you it's not a great realistic model now it happens once in a while but you know there's only one russell i mean you said he's only taken one russell westbrook type of player in the last 15 years like how many guys have they taken late on like hey we, we like him he's going to be good down the line like they just don't have the time like in today's atmosphere uh you know ucla might be looking at a transfer portal guy instead of russell westbrook you know what i mean like that's right. just that's point. the the, the the reality of it not saying that he could, couldn't have got to it because he was a good player but yeah i think think the window's smaller and you got to just be um you know whether it's talking to somebody that's outside your circle that you trust that or has good reputation or has a good good uh read on the situation like hey maybe this would be a good situation if you do legitimately get an offer and then we got to even talk about offers that are not like that legitimate or Right. Yeah, that's another thing. But Ani, some of the guys you mm -hmm. mentioned, this is like those are like legitimate offers. And you kind of mentioned the kid from Nebraska. Like, that's a pretty smart thing. Like, if he gets offered, he's mm -hmm. probably gonna take it and he's probably gonna he hasn't he hasn't committed yet, but it looks like he will. Right. Yeah, no, I no, and I'm agreeing with you. It's I think people are deceived more so the blind just leads the leads the blind sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just people that don't know what they're don't know <laughs> are leading people that don't know or leading mm -hmm. kids that don't know so they're saying hey wait till you got this offer wait till this school comes along because you know what people what it was back back then i say like it was just so many years ago it was like okay like here if if texas offers then baylor will probably offer then you know then tcu would offer then oklahoma state then oklahoma that's not the case now like yeah. if, if utsa offers that does not mean sm you know like smu mm -hmm. or uta or or you or UTEP's going to offer. Uh, so, you know, Ronnie kind of mentioned it, like when you have people around you that are educating these kids on how this stuff works, right? And what's a legitimate offer and what's not. Like if a school offers, right? I mean, it's very quick. Like, hey, coach, when, when could I come on an official visit? Oh, I need to talk to my coach. Okay, then you know it's not a real offer. Like, you know, it's just throwing something out there. Like those are the stuff. Like, okay, like when a kid's like, hey, I got this offer. uh uh, yada yada yada. I want I, this is a place I want to go. Sometimes I'll call the coach. Hey, coach, you know I saw you offer this kid. Uh, I think he wants to commit or wants to come on a visit. Yeah, you know I got to give him my head coach and see what uh, that that happens a lot. <laughs> and uh, these kids don't realize it, so they think they received an offer, and it may not even be legitimate. But they thinking that another higher offer is going to come, but they don't realize the offer that they just received. They can't even commit to, you know. But uh, I think it's timing, like. The kids that are receiving offers in July live period, like it's for the most part committable or it's a situation where you want people to you. They want to get you on a visit. They want you, you know, this this is more advanced talk than compared to probably receiving an offer in April. 
you say, Ronnie, like if you get receive an offer in April, like, yeah, it's cool, but you still have such a long way. It's like kids have received offers in April, play bad in May and June, and they don't have the offer anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, so like in July, to me, it's kind of more of the better times because like you receive an offer that the you're not playing a lot more tournaments. You may be playing one or two more tournaments. Do sure. you think there? Then, you know, go on your visits in August or whatever, whenever that time is, and then sign in November. Uh, that's really that's realistically what it 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 is it, supposed to look like. But people think, oh, they gave me an offer now. I'm supposed I'm gonna get this school's gonna come and this school's gonna come and this school's gonna come in from the conference. And that's not the yeah. case. Because mm-hmm. it because it's different. Like UTEP may want more transfers, UTSA may take more high school kids, <laughs> you know, UNT may look to get go into the JUCO market heavier. Like just yeah. stuff like that these kids don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing you mentioned. The average high school kid doesn't know the makeup of a college roster. Right. So back to the springtime you mentioned, the, the the colleges are telling you and me on and obviously other people, like, we got to see what our roster is going to look like in the fall. We got seven guys leaving, you know, and it's like they're they're trying to get the portal to, to make up the, the bulk of those new spots. So they don't even know what their roster is going to look like in the during the spring, what it's going to look like in the fall. So how are they going to know what high school player they really, mm-hmm. really want? You know, it's it, it's very tricky. So, yeah, we will come back to this. And Wait, it, real quick, Ronnie, that brings me to another question because it's a little yeah. bit of a sidebar, but it's relevant. You're talking about transfers and stuff. Do, sure. do you think in the future we're going to see some type of regulation? I, I don't think it's going to be a free-for-all in the transfer portal like it's been the yeah. last couple of years. And I'm also wondering, maybe the NCAA steps in and starts to say, okay, you know, you do have to have a couple of true freshmen on your actual, you know, roster because, like you said, there's schools that eat – off of transfers. I mean, San Diego State, you know, my I'm alum there. The men's team has been doing that for years, just oh, taking yeah. in transfers, being super successful, you know, because these guys already have experience. And and I look at San Diego State on the women's side, even this year, they had one true freshman. Everybody else was incoming transfers. So I, I'm just wondering, like, I know we can't say for sure, but I'm just in the foreseeable future, you know, how is the transfer portal going to change? Because they're not going to just let, I don't think that they're going to just let students transfer willy nilly you know some of these kids are on their third school you know fourth school so i think there's going to be some type of regulation and there's going to be some type of penalty like there was in the past when you transfer i was a transfer i had to sit out a year before i was eligible to compete again but i'm just wondering like are they going to start putting some regulations not only on the portal but on these teams no you cannot have 10 transfers on on your roster like you know i'm i'm curious to see what happens i don't know i can't speak on the woman's side too much um, obviously, whatever they do on the men's, they they can they kind of have to mirror it because the girls are going to say, "Wait, you're you're yeah. giving them one set of rules, you're giving us one set of rules." But I do think after the COVID period dies down, meaning those all those extra eligibility years, when those kind of get out of the system, which is starting this fall for most schools, and then some people did mention that they want to see the one year, you know, you could be in the portal, but the one year sit out still be mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, I don't think they're going to regulate the transfer portal in terms of how many people can be in enter it. I think they're going to try to get out more education and, and get people out there to who should be in it. Like, why are you jumping in it yeah. for, for this reason? Give people incentives to stay, get better uh, educated on who they should offer scholarship to, that type of thing. But I think the normal will go down a little bit 
once we get away from COVID and COVID keep going down. But I don't think they're going to put any regulations on who uh, a school can offer a scholarship to. I just think there would be huge brushback for that. Like yeah. if they want to have a bunch of junior college transfers, that's what they want. If they want freshmen, that's what they I don't think there's going to be a uh, brushback for like how the makeup of your roster is or like, oh, you got to have five seniors, the two freshmen. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so either. I think more so you probably see a regulation NIL before you mm -hmm. see a regulation yeah. in the transfer portal. And that may affect the portal. Like, you know, some kids are entering the transfer portal to make you know, for a higher NIL. Like mm -hmm. if NIL or collective <laughs> um, gets um, gets, you know, under if there, there's more rules into that, you, you probably have more people, more of the top end guys may be more hesitant on entering the transfer portal. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point, Ani. Uh, as we transition to 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 talk about the summer league, that that's a great point, and we'll talk about this too as the season comes closer. The next season is there's a lot of low majors, Ani, a lot of mid majors that are bracing themselves. They're really worried, like this collectives for the higher level schools. Like, are they going to be able to get anybody they want? Meaning that they're going to just lose them. The guys are going to jump in the portal because mm -hmm. some college has a collective that has a, a $10 million pot and they're going to give them 500,000 of it. Is there just going to be, yeah. so it's kind of like uh, Chelsea, what you mentioned, developing young girls and then they join a big shoe circuit team. It's kind of same thing. These colleges are thinking like, we found this great recruit. He got <laughs> in and we developed him. He had a great year. Okay. We're going to lose him to a school with a bigger collective because obviously mm -hmm. Alabama, Oklahoma, uh you know kentucky yeah. the, mm -hmm. those schools just have they're going to have a bigger collective so right. that's going to reach a point where and i know a lot of mid-majors to low majors are bracing for that they they just don't know what they're going to do about that right now yeah they did mention that to me uh earlier this month they're like boy this is coming and we don't know yeah. what's gonna make of it i don't know on if you have a quick thought about that but it's like it, it's coming yeah no i i know it's coming i agree with that's the same kind of concern that I've been uh, receiving. It's like, you know, when I ask my kids, like, hey, like, am I going to have them for four years? I'm like, coach, I can't, you know, I can't tell. No. Like, no. you know, but, but I will tell you this. Like, what will happen is kids that are really talented that probably will blow will blow up like year one, what coaches are going to do is they're going to manage that situation so they don't blow up in year one. <laughs> they're they're going to be smart and they're going to make it, year two year three where they have that breakout season yeah that's the other part of all of this like you know <laughs> they're going to manage the roster manage yeah. It, yeah but also if you have a player that's just having a great season you better get that collective money. you better start <laughs> thinking about how you're going to keep them from entering in that board like that's just going to be the reality of the situation you know like i don't know i'm trying to think of a player who was like that uh uh, and the one's not coming to my mind. Maybe Keegan Murray a little bit at Iowa. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're not a top uh, 25 recruit, really did well. And it's like, in the future, how do you, you – now maybe he's a special case. Maybe he loved Iowa and maybe, you know, it worked out there. How about if he's like, I want to go to Arizona or I want to go to Kentucky? Mm -hmm. You know, you better have – or Miami. You, Miami's a great kid. You better have uh, 750K for him or else he's going to be at Miami. Right. You know? Wait, did that kid end up getting more money? The one that uh, was, they, yeah. they, I think they restructured. Yeah, they restructured. His, his, so it worked. Well, wow. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. It, it, and then that's another thing. You start getting to the point where 
Uh, Chelsea comes in and she's uh, a McDonald's All-American. I come in and I'm a top 50 guy. And Ani comes in and he's a top 100 guy. And Chelsea's expected to start. I'm expected to get minutes. And Ani's maybe redshirting. Well, wait a minute. Ani uh, killing it all practice. Ani's going to start. But Ani doesn't have much NIL money. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. You're going to be like, wait a minute. Chelsea's sitting. She's, you know, she has a half a million dollar deal. I'm better than her. I'm going to sit out. What are you going to do? I'm sitting out. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think that far. It it affects makes up of rosters once you start talking about, especially the families. You know, they talk, hey, so-and-so has a deal. He's Mm -hmm. getting, he has nice stuff. He has a car or something, or he's able to, and my son is beating him out of minutes, but has nothing. That's going to be. It's, I mean, it's already been an issue in the past, but it's going to be a bigger issue. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's more managing of the raw, you know, more management. It's like you already have enough with school, uh, outside forces, agents. It's just another thing to manage, you know, so it's yeah. 100%. very interesting. Well, we'll get into that more, but let's jump into the summer league, um, NBA summer league. All of us three win at various times. Uh, you know, Chelsea, just give us your highline take on the summer league, and we'll just jump into what we saw on some of the standouts, and we'll, we'll close out. Uh, I think the top three picks didn't disappoint. Um, I got to watch, you know, all three of them. Paolo was shut down early. He only played two games, but I thought he was the best player by far. Um, so, you know, well-deserved him being number one. I got to watch Jabari quite a bit as well. Um, I thought he settled a lot, uh, a lot of jump shooting. Um, but I, I think you can see the potential with him. Um, you know, just it's going to be a process with his growth and development. But I think he's still going to be a great player in the league. And obviously, Chet's first game, um, he was incredible. You know, he had the internet talking just about how he can pretty much do everything. And then his second game, he played Kenny Lofton and, you know, he got punished a little bit and, you know, kind of uh, the tweets were flying. So um, overall, I thought collectively those three were really good. Um, Portland ended up winning the. Uh, Summer League Championship, uh, Trendon Wofford, a little brother of Christian Wofford, who played at Indiana and hit that shot on Kentucky, uh, was the MVP. And, you know, I think it was well-deserved. He put up good numbers, but also just the poise. I think you can really notice sometimes in Summer League um, the guys that have a year of NBA experience under their belt. um, You know, it's just a little bit different, just how they approach the game and just how they're playing, their pace. Um, you know, just them getting after it out there. I think he had a lot of poise and he was able to just kind of, um, you know, lead the young guys. Um, and that's why Portland was really successful. So overall, I thought it was good. Uh, Keegan Murray, who was pretty impressive. Um, Tari Eason for the Rockets, I got to watch him. And my guy, Ty Ty Washington, um, you can see a lot of potential with him. I thought he played a little bit um, kind of, he wasn't as engaged as, as I would have liked him to be, uh, but I think he showed flashes of, you know, things that he can do and how he can help that team. Um, I don't think that the Rockets are going to be good for a while. You know, they have a lot of young pieces. Uh, they still got to kind of figure things out. So I can't really see them contending for a championship anytime soon, but I think the talent in the league is, you know, pretty good. And, you know, the summer league wasn't, wasn't bad. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And you made a good point about, like, you can tell the players that have been there for one year, been NBA for one year, like Keon Johnson on that Portland team who has some really good games. Uh, well, I think his best position long-term is going to be at the point guard position, like his mm-hmm. athleticism. I think his decision-making has gotten better in the shooting. Um, he's someone that I, I, I can see in the Portland long-term. 
being someone that, you know, plays backup minutes. Uh, Trent Wofford was fantastic. He got some minutes last year, you know, playing like a backup five, backup four role. And uh, you can just tell, like, the minutes he got last year and the experience really kind of transferred over here uh, this year. Uh, Quinn Grimes, another kid <laughs> that uh, did a year. It's crazy just seeing uh, uh, Quinn's uh, progression, you know, from going to Kansas, had a really good first game, didn't, it was bad the rest of the time, went to Houston, kind of struggled. Uh, Kelvin Sampson talked about just getting him tougher and stuff like that. Then that second year, Houston was really good good rookie year and now like in the, the summer league i thought he just looked a lot different than the other guys um he's someone that you know now they're talking about like you know trace chip for like uh donovan mitchell how like now new york's talking about well, we don't want to include him in a trade you know we're talking about like he's really grown uh a lot and i thought he had a really good summer league uh justin jackson uh, me and uh, ronnie were watching him with yeah, well, the I mean, he I, he should get himself a minimum deal. It was fantastic. Um, just the shooting, just you can tell, just the experience and the scoring. I know USA had like a like a like a sub team that they put into the deal, and he was one of the best players there too. They went overseas and played, so uh, got to catch him there, and well, got to watch those games, and he played really well. Like you said, Tyree Eason was good. Just his defensive versatility. Yeah. Scoring. I think the shooting is a lot further along than people gave credit. Um, Chet was good, like especially the first game was really good. I'm high on Chet, but I think even the, the reality is that he's very thin, <laughs> you know. And like I felt like the first game got to his head because he started dribbling and being a point center every time he got a rebound. And I'm like, okay, man, like you can outlet pass. It's okay. Like pass. Yeah, come off the ball, please. Yeah, come off the ball. Like you don't <laughs> have to go like you don't have to go do off the dribble threes. Like, you know, I just thought, you know, he he let it get to his head, but it's good. I mean, it, it, that happens in summer league and you get that out of your system now, then it'll be good. I think he has a really bright future. Like he's I I agree with your Jabari assessment. I thought he took a lot of jumpers. Um Kind of did that in Auburn as well. When he can really just get stronger and mm-hmm. get more baskets in the paint, I think he'll kind of unlock more of his game. Paulo was fantastic. Um, I mean, he he it he didn't get to show the passing at Duke like he's showing now. Mm-hmm. Like everything is playmaking. Like, his playmaking is fantastic. Um, you know, I I thought he was just that was the one thing. Like I knew he was going to be able to score and do those things, but the passing. Oh. Like, that unlocked another level to his game uh, where you can see a multi-time all-star and a guy that, you know, could be like one of your centerpieces in a, in a, in a championship contender team down the road. Obviously, defense is going to be the main question, but I think he'll be fine there. But, yeah, like there's just a couple guys in my head that I thought were good. The Mavs summer league was god-awful. Um, you know. <laughs> Jaden Hardy's first game was decent, you know. And the next game for him. Next games were bad. And I think he'll be good. Like, um, he just he just takes a lot of tough shots. Me and Ronnie were talking about that. He takes a lot yeah. of tough shots. And um, you know, once he learns how to, you know, make the game easier for him, and we'll probably play with better players will help too. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he'll be fine. Um, but the, you know, Jarek Harding was good on that team as well. Um, Ty Ty Washington, like you talked about, was okay. I thought he was more reserved. Yeah. Uh, I thought he could be more aggressive, especially coming off ball screens and stuff like that. But like at Kentucky, those kind of same things. Like it was just 
there was games he was really aggressive and really good. And there was games he wasn't aggressive and he was just out there. And I think like once he kind of understands that balance and when to be aggressive and when to just kind of be do more playmaking, I think he'll be good for uh, Houston. I hope he gets like gets a lot of backup minutes this year um, and just kind of yeah. really develop him at the PG spot. So do you think he's competing with Dacian Nix? For, like, wh- where do you see his minutes fitting in? I'm just curious because they have a lot of guards and a lot of their guards are very ball dominant and want to shoot. You know, I talked to Ronnie about this just a little bit uh, earlier, just, you know, with Josh Christopher and Jalen Green and, you know, um, Kevin Porter, like they have a lot of guys that want the ball, that want right. to shoot, want to score. So so where do you see him fitting in? Like, Yeah, I, I think Jalen Green is more like a combo. I think he's more of a score first guy that's still trying to figure out how to be a playmaker. I think you can play him and Ty Ty on the ball and be fine. Uh, Deshaun Nix is, a, is good. I think, yeah, yeah, battling with Deshaun some. Uh, Dacian obviously has a little bit more experience, but I think if you're Houston, you can still kind of, you just kind of experiment with it. I mean, you're, you're a rebuilding team and you just see what lineups work. Maybe you go some three card lineups at times. Like you've seen, uh, Dacian's big enough. Like he's, he's wide enough to guard some twos. Like, you know, they actually played side by side though. I I watched a couple games and they were out there together. Right. Yeah. So I think they can do it. I I think you just got to be creative. I don't, I think Houston, unless they just want to really try Jalen green at point and just like really develop that, then sure. But I think you can run, Ty Ty him together, Ty Ty Deshen together, Ty Ty Deshen and Jalen together. Like you can be creative with their lineups. I don't think it's more com- competition. I just think if you're Houston, you got to experiment and see what works. Yeah. Uh, then like with Tyree Eason, he can play the four. He can play some small ball five. You, like there's so many things they can do. They're going to lose anyways. Experiment. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah, said absolutely. <laughs> no, they they 100% are. But yeah. Ronnie, so who did who did you like, Ronnie? I know we got to watch some games together, um, but you know who did you see that kind of stood out to you in the summer league? I, I thought Keegan Murray was just poised and yeah. and really good for the Kings. I saw the twenty nine point game he had. I think he averaged maybe he's the second leading scorer in the event behind Moses Moody. Uh, he just looked like a veteran already. Like he just uh, the way he moves kind of reminds me a little bit of a younger Sean Elliott in his young days. Okay. Yeah, just like, like that comparison. Yeah, just, just smooth and like not a way, a lot of wasted motion. You know what I mean? Not a lot of wasted motion. Like you said, some of these guys out here are rah, 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 dribbling around. It's just, but they're not making any many impact. You know, he just yeah. was moving well. I thought he did good. I thought Lindell Wigginton did good for the Bucks. Yeah. Um, strong guard. He has some experience. Um, he did good. Uh, Jabari Walker for the Blazers. Uh, he was the 57th pick, and you know he went. He he uh, was in Arizona as a young player. Obviously, his dad is Samaki Walker, who who played in the NBA, and uh, he's just trying to prove that he's a lot better than the 57th pick. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just looked like he belonged. Like obviously, there's a, like you said, the town levels at various. A lot of guys are not going to be in the, on NBA rosters, but it looked like he belong with 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 these guys like it wasn't like it was a stretch taking them like you said some of the guys in the second round maybe have a little bit more work to do mm-hmm. i like jay scrub from the clippers lefty mm-hmm. shoot the ball and score i thought he did good showed himself well and then some of the guys you meant you guys mentioned obviously at, at, at the top were good uh i thought chet made an impact uh, at the games i saw he, he's impactful 
Um, again, you guys kind of mentioned he's big. You know, he's going to get bodied up a little bit, but he's unique. I just think him yeah. mm-hmm. and and the Australian kid are, are going to be a good combination. I think people want to watch Oklahoma City. It's not like um, a situation where, oh, let's see if uh, is this guy like a uh, almost like let's see him almost if he's going to how bad he's going to like get dunked on and things like that. Like, no, they think like he's going to make a good impact. I think people want to try to like down it and see, is he going to be a sideshow? But no, I, I think Oklahoma city has a good nucleus and obviously they're far from where they want to be, but it's headed in the right direction. Uh, again, I don't know what they're going to do with all those picks. Um, or Just trade them. I mean, the reason I brought that up is like, when we talk about the picks and what they're worth and it's like, you talk about some of these trades that maybe they're trying to do with Donovan Mitchell and Knicks and, and, and some of these teams and what they're asking for. And then I remember Shaq when he, when the Lakers basically moved him and for Lamar Odom and one first round pick. So like what happened in those 15 years is like our first round picks just that much less valued. Are they more valued? Is it, is it just, does it make the deal sound good? Oh, we threw in four first round picks. Like Shaq got traded for one first round pick and Lamar Odom and, and another player like, not nine first round picks. So I was like, what, what's happened to the first round picks? I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that. Like what's up with the first round picks? Well, I think that Rudy deal went through and everybody's like, what the hell? If you're getting that for Rudy, then Kevin Durant is worth the 25 first round picks. And he just, (laughs) they, you know, they, they messed up the market, but, but I just look at OKC just to your point. First of all, I was very surprised that Josh Giddy played. He's like one of my favorite people to watch. I'm surprised that he was out there. I know it wasn't the whole time, but he was, he's, He's going to be great. I look at OKC. They've been stacking up on picks and rebuilding for the last couple of years. At what point do you transition from rebuilding to trying to win something? I think that they have a lot of picks, and I think that they are two pieces away from actually making some noise. They have Shai, who's incredible. Like, he is, you know, top of the top in terms of just young talent, you know, working his way up. They have Giddy, they have Chet now. So they need one or two good pieces to be competitive and sneak into the playoffs. And that should be the trend. Okay, rebuild, get these picks, play in game, uh, you know, make it to the first round, make it to the second round. Like at some point you have to not just want picks all the time and you actually have to like try to win. So I'm just wondering when OKC is going to make that jump. I think, I think they will. I think, you know, you got to wait on Chet to kind of be the player. I kind of mentioned that thing like with WNBA, like the five years. Like, so I, was, I think Oklahoma's positioned themselves, like when we look at it five years, to be a championship contender team. Uh, with your with all these picks, I think you can be patient. Like you got to you can be patient and wait for a young superstar that, you know, that you may be able to trade for that you have the assets for. Like Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara looked really good for them as well. Mm-hmm. I think Poco, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's the other set skinny seven footer that they have. All right. Um, he's he's a very intriguing type player. Usman Diang, they got the other Jalen Williams from Arkansas. Like if two of those guys pan out, two or three of those guys pan out and then Let's say, you know, I don't know, like Giannis is on the market. Milwaukee's looking to trade him, right? And then you like, I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, I'm just, hypothetical for sure. Hypothetical yeah. for sure. Like, never happened, right? Like, but hypothetically, like, that happens. Or let's say a Devin Booker's open, right? Like. That's more realistic, yeah. Yeah, that's way more realistic, right? So, like, but you have the assets to trade for them. Now you go from maybe just a playing team. Now, all of a sudden, you're a championship contender team. 
but you have those assets. Boston did the same thing. I think Danny Ainge did a good job. Uh, Boston just, you know, with the draft, and then when he had when he was positioned, he traded for Kyrie. Just you know, Kyrie was just being Kyrie, and <laughs> it didn't work. And getting Gordon Haywood as well. But I think you stash just to be prepared to get a young superstar. And I think once some of these guys are aging out, Oklahoma will be in position to, um, you know, contend for a title. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I they got to make the right moves when they do that. You're right. They're going to have the assets to do it, and, and maybe it's all for down the line. So, yeah, it, 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 it was good. Um, Chelsea, were you surprised that a little more second-year players didn't play? Uh, obviously, you start developing. You know, um, a lot of the top 221 draft picks didn't play this year. And uh, obviously, uh, you mentioned our guy Giddy did for a little while, so that was good to see. But how about some of the – were you a little surprised? Or you think, no, nah, that's just the nature – like Josh Christopher's on the bench with Houston. It's like, you ain't just yeah. suit up, dude. You need you, – yeah. yeah, well, He actually played a couple games, though. So okay. I think players like him in his position, people that, you know, kind of yeah. bounced back and forth between the G League and like, you know, didn't really have like a super solidified spot on, you know, the main roster should should definitely play. But Giddy, yeah. like he was, you know, arguably should have been on, you know, first team. He was right on the outside of first team all rookie. Oh, I think yeah. he made second team, whatever. So like him, you know, I wouldn't I just didn't expect him to play. Jalen Green, don't expect him to play. You know, so I, I wasn't really surprised. I think that's kind of how it goes. I think those players that are like not on the bubble because, you know, they're they're going to be on the team, but just ones that didn't see a lot of time um, or like Trendon in his case, he actually got injured. He actually played quite a bit. He was undrafted, made the roster, did well, um, had an injury kind of late at the end of the season. I think they shut him down. So I think he's just, you know, getting healthy and getting his groove back. And so that makes perfect sense. But, you know, these teams are going to protect their assets. Uh, these young guys, you don't want to see, you know, anybody go down and get hurt. And, you know, that's kind of why Paolo, they were like, okay, we, we've seen enough. Like, let's shut him down because he's, you know, he he's our, our golden ticket. So we can't have him right. out there, you know, getting hurt. So um, I think it's, I don't really see, I don't really think too much into it. Gotcha. Yeah, you mentioned that as the summer league goes on, you want guys that are playing well or have a good showing. Yeah, it happened with Dale and Terry. For Chicago, he kind of had a scare there. He, you know, he's like, oh, man, did he get hurt? But he he, he, he pulled his hamstring or he had a hamstring, yeah, tight hamstring. So he's okay. So, yeah, Shaden you don't Sharp want too, that. right? Shaden Sharp yeah. was injured also yeah. early, like, yeah, the first game. Like, and I think that's a guy people wanted to see. So that's kind of like, dang, because he just didn't have no college experience. Mm -hmm. And it was like, he's a high draft pick. What can he do? So, yeah, that, that that's a little disappointment. Obviously, there was some guys that, you know, didn't didn't play. Dyson Daniels had an ankle injury um, early on, so we obviously wanted to watch him coming out of the G League at night. And then Jaden Ivy got shut down pretty early. Yeah, um, what do you think of Jaden from what you saw? Um, I, honey, do you have an idea about Jaden? I uh, it's, what do you that backcourt with him and Cade is going to be fantastic. Um, he was good. Use the speed. Uh, the shooting, you know, he made shots from the perimeter. Obviously, that's going to be like the swinging skill for him. Mm -hmm. But I thought Jaden was fantastic. Um, he showed that he's going to be a rookie of the year type candidate. He's going to be a really good player in the backcourt with uh, Kay Cunningham. Detroit's a team that's really looking to push and play more in transition. I think he just fits that that mold. I think he'll be he'll be really good for them. I think Jalen Duran was good. I loved his energy as well. Talked to Detroit as a, as a big man piece, uh, rebounded block shots, played with a lot of energy. So I love the, the two picks that uh, Detroit had. And I thought, uh, 
um, I think Ivy just going to fit in perfect with Cade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One player I do want to mention, me and Josh were watching, and I really like what Mark Williams is doing for mm-hmm. Charlotte. That's uh, he's just like running the four well, finishing good, just making an impact. He's big. He really like his size is big. That's I like to see he takes up space. Because you look at some of these guys and they're male, oh, he's 6'8", he's 6'9", he's 6'7". Then you see him, you're like, dude, he's small. Like, he doesn't have that impact. But when you look at Mark Williams, like, he's going to be pretty good, you know, yeah. down the line. I think that was a terrific pick for them. He had great timing. That's one thing I noticed about Mark. Like, he gets up quick. He is timing them shots. He's altering those shots. And that's huge. Like, you need people that are mobile now in this game. Like, you know, the bigs have to be able to move around, have to be able to, you know, uh, impact defensively. And I, I really see him as a defensive anchor um, um, with the stuff that he did in summer league. And he's a great character in that locker room. <laughs> Charlie got a lot going on. They need some balance. So I'm happy that Mark's there because yeah, they, yeah, they just need help. Yeah. They, they, he did a good job. Um, overall, it was good to see the fans back. It was a lot of stuff going on. Like you mentioned, Chelsea with, um, WNBA maybe lacked in their activations or executions of it. The, the NBA Summer League had a lot of things going on. People were asking me, hey, is there a game over here at um, Mandalay Bay and some other places? I'm like, they're like, there's signage everywhere. I go, no, the games are all at, at Cox and and, mm-hmm. and Thomas and Max. So they just did a good job of promoting, promoting it. Promoting it, yeah. Yeah, promoting it. Well, it was well attended. Uh, fans are back. So shout out to the Port and Bla- Portland Trailblazers. Our guy, Trenton Wofford, and then my guy, Brandon Williams. I always root for Brandon. He had 22 points in that championship game. Brandon, uh, you know, I haven't spoken to him since he committed to the University of Arizona. He did it at the Ball's Life game. And we were trying to keep all these people away. He's trying to turn his phone off because I knew he was going to U of A. He was going to announce it in front of his parents and stuff. So I always root for Brandon. You know, he's like, and then he got hurt. He never really played in college. Um it's been three or four years, and so it's good to see him in the swing of things. And I guess that's what summer league is for to get guys see where they're at and get them on track. So, shout out to Brandon Williams. I'm glad to see him playing. Uh, for a while, it looked like he may not play basketball no more. He got injured right away at U of A, and it was like his career might be over. So, happy for Brandon. Uh, I always remember that when he was uh, gonna pick U of A at the at the Balls Live game. So, I think for that, that probably wraps us up for for summer league. Um, you know, it's been a great episode. I always appreciate getting on with you guys. Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll come back. Ani, uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about the what we see this week. It's going to go by real fast. Then we'll, we'll we'll jump on. Then we'll come back also for the dead period, be in Vegas, uh, the big time. We'll have some good showcase games. Those will be on ESPNU on July 26th. So maybe we'll jump on on the 25th, potentially. If not, we'll, we'll, we'll come back the following week, depending on everybody's travel schedule. It's it's a busy time, and then we'll we'll get into the uh, post summer or start getting ready for the next season. Really, fall fall leagues, it's going to come by fast. So we appreciate everybody tuning in with us for episode one thirty six. We got to give a shout out to the other podcasts on the Balls Life Podcast Network, Kicks of Your Life, Unapologetic, Noble and Roosh. Uh, appreciate you guys logging on at ballslife.com, checking out the things, the shop shop.ballslife.com. Uh, store, a lot of cool things on there. Just make sure you keep using that in the paints coupon code to get 20% off your first purchase and free shipping. That's I-N-T-H-E-P-A-I-N-T. So 
appreciate it, guys. Anything else you guys have going on? Anything to say? I think we're, we're pretty good. We covered a lot of things. Again, we appreciate it. But for now, uh, Ani, Chelsea, and Ronnie, we're logging off. Take care, guys. Peace. Bye, guys.